Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 195, and we're going to talk about Uda. Uh, Uda? The heck is Uda? <laughs> Uda is an acronym that will help you avoid trouble and help you get out of it should you find yourself in it. We're also going to do a product review of a table chair. It can be both. I shall explain. We'll have a tale from the road about a really stupid thing I did in one of my cars. And a resource recommendation is a little surprising, but not that much surprising. At any rate, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening once again. And if you are up north anywhere, which these days includes Texas, oddly, and freezing your butt off, I'm so very sorry. I know how it is. I had to cancel a trip this weekend because uh, it was just life-threateningly cold. And while my van could probably handle it, well, I decided not to put myself in that situation because it wasn't necessary. I did not have to go out and I just decided not to. And I I think that was the right decision. I know not everyone can make that decision. Some of you are stuck where you are and you basically have to deal with what you're dealing with. So uh, you have my sympathy because this has been some truly cold weather. Uh, I'm going to go out in it tomorrow. It's going to warm up to about 20, and I'm going to head down to Tiki Bago Land because not only have all my cameras stopped working, and not only is it incredibly cold, we have a flood warning, and uh, I need to see what the heck is going on down there. Let's talk about UDA because this is, this is all related. So UDA, which stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, act is a loop it is a cycle it's 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 kind of one of these business speak things except this comes from the military oh oh 75 years ago or so it's been a long term in the air force and it was designed for fighter pilots so that they would know what to do and basically from a jet fighter context which i'm assuming most of you are not in but you know let's go with it you would observe a threat You would orient yourself to the threat, which is deciding what is your relationship with the threat, basically. You would decide on what you should do and then act. And if you practice these things, it would actually be much simpler to act when you needed to. You could do it much quicker and it would avoid panic, which is, of course, the thing that you always want to avoid. And what does flying a jet fighter have to do with van life? Well, driving isn't all that dissimilar from flying a jet fighter. While we may not be hopefully engaging in combat on the highways out there, there are definitely threats. And if you observe one, you have to know how to deal with it because you have a very limited amount of time. And and as we go through this, you'll find this applies to a lot of different things in van life because... Just like that jet fighter pilot up there in the sky, when you are out in your van, you are on your own for the most part. You are reliant on yourself. Yes, you can call somebody on the cell phone. Maybe you're traveling with some other people. But as opposed to living in a city, you have to be able to do more stuff on your own. And UDA can help you do that. So let's go through the steps of UDA. Number one is observe. Now, in order to observe, you have to be observant. And while you're driving, that's a really good time to be observant. And we have so many distractions now while we're driving that it's actually something you have to be mindful of. You know, back in the 70s, when we were driving in the car, we had an AM radio. 
if we were lucky. And that's it. That's all we had for entertainment. There was no way to watch YouTube on your dashboard. There was no way to listen to a podcast. There was no way. Uh, and we also didn't even have things like cup holders. You know, the concept of always having a drink with you in the car just wasn't something we dealt with in the 70s. You had the car and you were driving. That was it. You're, you're, there was nothing to distract you except maybe the kids in the back seat. You know, and that's why we had station wagons, so you could put the kids in the way back and completely forget they existed. So now we have every distraction possible. And I see it. You see it, too. When you're out on the road, if you're, especially if you're in a sprinter or a van like that where you're sitting way up high, you can see what everybody else is doing while they're driving. And some of it's insane. I have seen so many people watching YouTube or sporting events on their phones while they're driving. Uh, it, it, in heavy traffic, even. Uh, it, it, it's just bizarre and dangerous. And that's the observe part. Those people cannot observe. They're paying the least amount of attention to their driving, and that's the first lesson you have to learn. If you are driving, you are in a situation where you are exposed to threats, and the only way you're ever going to be able to deal with those threats is to observe them. So, remember what you're doing. You're driving. Yes, go ahead and listen to a podcast, like maybe this one. Maybe you're going through this right now. But if you are actually driving and listening to me, Remember, you can always rewind if you miss something that I say, and more important, nothing I say is that important. It is okay to miss everything I say if that means you're going to pay more attention to the road. So your number one job is to observe. Okay, what happens if you do observe something? Like, for example, let's say there's co someone coming into your lane. They're watching YouTube or whatever. They're not observing, and they're coming into your lane. Now you have to orient yourself. Before you decide on what you're going to do, although these things may happen very quickly, you have to figure out what your situation is. If you're stationary, for example, let's say you've pulled over and someone's coming at you, you have different options than if you're traveling at speed. And that's the orientation part. Figuring out what your options are. Figuring out where you are in relationship to this problem. Now that should be a fairly quick process, but it is in many ways the most important one because that is your data collection spot. Okay, guy is coming at you, crossing the line. What kind of data is important there? Can you see his wheel turning? Is he trying to avoid you? Can you see that he's asleep? Is he falling asleep and there's no chance he's going to see you? Is he going to cut across in front of you or maybe go behind you? Is You have to just kind of observe all that stuff. And this is, this is tricky. So when I... When my dad taught me how to drive, and then I subsequently taught my kids how to drive, I passed along the advice that he gave me, which was, it takes five years to learn how to drive. Now, it doesn't take that long to get your driver's license and pass your test. It takes five years to build up the intuition you need to be a good driver. And that's part of this. You start to learn how people behave on the road, and you have an intuition. Using that intuition is part of orientation. So when you have all that data, and again, this could be nearly instantaneous, then you have to make a decision. Make a decision. This is, this is not a reaction. This is trying to use as much brain power as possible to make a decision. So the car's crossed the line, it's coming towards you. Based on all the data you got during the orientation phase, should you slow down? Should you speed up? Should you change direction? Or 
Should you let him hit you? Because there are circumstances where that might be the best option. Once you've made that decision, you are done. You've made that decision, and then you act. That is not the end, though. And of course, acting is just carrying out your decision. That goes without saying. That's the simplest part of it all. But that is not the end of the situation. It's a loop. It repeats. So let's say the car is coming towards you, and you have decided that you're going to swerve to the right, and then you do that, and then he changes his direction too, and now he's still heading for you. The loop begins again. Can you speed up? Should you slow down? Should you let him hit you? Should you drive off the road? All those kind of things. And then you make another decision, and then you act. And you keep doing this cycle until the event is over. Now, in terms of the military, the event was over when either you shot them down, they shot you down, or somehow they got out of range or something like that. And your decision may have been to escape, and then your end case would be that you escaped or you didn't. (laughs) A little different on the highway. You you want your logical decision-making brain to take over from your reactionary, panicky brain. That's the entire point of OODA. And it's a good thing to think through and actually practice so that when you're in one of these situations, it will happen pretty much automatically. Now, I would argue that if you have been driving for five years, a lot of OODA is going to be embedded in you. You're going to know, like my wife and I, when we're driving, we've driven a lot, and we, we can tell when somebody's going to do something bad. There's just, it's, it's intuition, and, and it's hard to even think about how do we know that that car is going to do something bad? Because at some point, we saw them break a rule of some sort, and we know what's going to happen next. Like, see that guy there? He cut in front of us and slowed down. Why did he do that? Well, usually it's because they want to get off at the next exit, and they don't have enough space. So we can expect this guy to swerve to the right suddenly. And that means we should stay right where we are and maintain our speed to let him get the heck out of our way. Things like that. Now, OODA doesn't just apply to driving. OODA can apply to anything. For example, you're parked at a campground, and your lights don't work, and it's night, and what do you do? Well, you observe. What are you observing? Your lights don't work. (laughs) Okay, now you orient yourself. Where are you? Well, I'm in a campground, so there's other vans there. There's other rigs there, so it's not that big of a deal. Or I'm way out in the boondocks, and if I don't get these lights on, I'm actually going to have a problem. Get that data. Then you decide what you're going to do. Now, in this case, your decision is probably going to be, well, let's get a flashlight and check the breakers. Or maybe this is bad enough that this situation is so unsafe we're going to leave. And then you act. And then you keep doing that cycle until it's not a problem or the problem's fixed. You get the idea. Maybe your campfire gets out of control and it starts to light the woods on fire. You know, that's another situation that can happen. You observe this fire is spreading. Then you orient yourself. Is this small enough that I can handle it myself? Where is my fire extinguisher? Do I have it handy? Or is this so far out of control now that I need to get help and get the heck out of there? That's the idea. Because without this, without this structure, it's going to be much easier to just be like, oh my God, the woods are on fire, ah, and run around screaming and you're not doing anything. You're not dealing with the problem. So I think Uda. It's a pretty good little tool to have, and many of you may have heard this before. It's, it's actually related to a bunch of other business concepts like smart goals and stuff like that. And yeah, whatever, you can pay a consultant $20,000 to come talk to you about this for a weekend, or you can just watch the video I have linked, or, and I'll tell you another or later, but uh, I got this idea from the resource recommendation I have at the end of this. So, 
Uda. Observe. Orient. Decide. Act. Not a bad thing to actually have on a post-it note somewhere in your van. But remember, <laughs> these things are time-sensitive. You don't want to get stuck in any one of those phases. I tend to get stuck in the observation phase. <laughs> I keep trying to gather more data, and then by the time I get to the decision phase, I've got 1,800 different choices I could make. Don't do that, but spend some time thinking about it. News! Thank you to this week's new member, Chad. I absolutely appreciate it. I'm, I'm really surprised so many people are becoming members. And uh, thank you. I mean, you're really motivating me to do more with this podcast. You can become a member or just make a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash built to go. That's two T's, not three, not one. And anybody who donates will be... If you want, I will send you a Hook Waka Bang sticker as long as you live in the U.S. or Canada. However, if you become a member, which is basically a monthly kind of subscription kind of thing, I will send you a sticker regardless of wherever you live. If you live in Timbuktu, I will find a way to get you a sticker. It's just I can't. They, they cost a lot of money to send these things other places. So thank you, Chad, and thank you, everybody else who supports the show. There are no ads on the podcast because of you folks. And... A little bit of news, YouTube Music should be up and running. For those of you who asked me to get the podcast up on YouTube Music, it should be there. YouTube Music is very strange in how they deal with podcasts. Most podcasts just read your RSS feed, and then when you play the podcast, you're either getting a local cached copy or the actual file on my server that I pay for. YouTube Music is completely different. They read your RSS feed and ingest it, which means they actually copy the file from the RSS feed and then put it on YouTube as a video. And then when you listen to YouTube music, it's actually playing the audio from the video. So this is weird, and it actually will cause some problems. For example, if I update the file, YouTube music isn't even going to know it. I have to then go back and manually upload it there. So this is all nascent and just beginning, and not everything's figured out. But for those of you who used to listen to podcasts on Google and now have to switch to YouTube music... This is why a lot of your podcasts are missing, and including this one. Although now, it should be there. At least the last hundred episodes should be there. I'm still working on the earlier ones. So uh, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I had no idea that they were being so weird. But it should be good now. Also, I have a correction, or at least more information. Last week I talked about insurance. And one thing I completely left out, and thank you to those of you who brought this to my attention was that in some places, they will see your Sprinter or ProMaster or Transit or Econoline or whatever the heck you have and say, oh, that's a commercial vehicle because you only have two seats, so we need to write you a commercial policy. Even if you're not selling anything, even if you're just, you know, using it to sleep in the back, it doesn't matter. They will write you a commercial policy. Or if they're really sophisticated and you mention that you're making YouTube videos for money, well, then arguably it is a commercial van because it is being used in your business. Although I would argue that if it's registered to you personally, it's not a business vehicle. It's, it's a little complex. But uh, anyway, just keep that in mind that you may run into a commercial policy. And of course, they're more expensive. So it's not necessarily what you want. Tech Talk. So I was complaining about 
why uh, diesel prices being higher than gasoline prices last week. And I made a comment that I've actually never challenged. And, and that was that, well, diesel costs 25% more than gasoline, and you're just never going to make up that difference in the prices with the extra mileage you get on diesel fuel. And I thought, you know, I really should back that up with something. I should look and see what the actual number is. How much more efficient is diesel than gasoline? And we're going to ignore DEF. And we're going to ignore extra maintenance and all that stuff. That's a bigger question. I just want to deal with diesel versus gasoline straight. And it turns out that the advantage to diesel can be 25% or more. So it means that basically diesel and gasoline are the same amount of money per mile. Now, there are 8 million different variables here. What kind of engine you have, what kind of shape your vehicle's in, all this kind of stuff. And it's not like you can switch back and forth and check. But, yeah, according to Car and Driver, and I'll have a link to the article in the show notes, diesel engines are 29% more efficient on the highway and 24% more efficient in the city. And that is maybe even a little better than the difference in prices. So... That was interesting to me. Now, that means that if diesel goes back down to be close to the price of gasoline, then it might be a clear advantage. It actually might be a better value prospect than gasoline. Until you add in all the other stuff, like the fact that you have to pay for DEF, DEF, uh, also called AdBlue, uh, and then you've got extra maintenance items, etc., etc. It's a very long calculus. But... I just wanted to be upfront and have the stats out there that, yeah, actually diesel, though it costs more, you're getting more energy out of it. And for those of us in sprinters, you know, we're getting maybe 18 miles a gallon, whereas if we had a gasoline engine in there, it would be like 15, 14 miles a gallon, maybe. So it does seem to pan out. Product review. I bought this thing. <laughs> I, I've seen these before, and I always thought they looked kind of problematic, but I, I needed a little table. You know, I'm going to be going to VanFest. I need this little table. I'm going to be handing out some stuff at VanFest. I want a little table to hand stuff out on. The table that I've used in the past that I've mentioned on the show is actually dedicated to something in Tiki Bagoland. So I need a little table. And I decided to do something a little different. So I bought one of these mushroom tables. I mean, I don't even know what you technically call them, but... Um, I'll, the, the description in YouTube is small collapsible table and stool for camping. Luxjet portable lightweight telescopic table with folding stool for picnic, cooking, dining beach, blah, blah, blah. So this is one of these plastic disc stools that you, you kind of screw a little bit and then pull apart and it kind of accordions and then locks in place. I know you've seen these things. And now they have them that come with a table. Although you would think from the description that you would be getting a stool and a table, but what you're actually getting is a stool or a table. <laughs> There's a table that snaps onto the top of the stool, and if you use the table, well, then you don't have any place to sit. So I, I feel like that's a, a little bit disingenuous, but I knew it before I bought it. What you end up with is this very small kind of suitcase thing. It's smaller than a laptop bag. It's maybe two inches thick and has a handle and when you open that up the disc comes out you unscrew it and pop it open and lock it in place and then you snap 
what was the case and is now the table over it. And you end up with this kind of oval-shaped table that's maybe 30 inches long and 24 inches wide, something like that. And uh, it's pretty stable. So I have not used this out in the field yet, but I do think that this is something that's going to work for me, but I'm not sure it's perfect for everybody. So some of the pros for this thing is that it is very compact. This is the kind of thing you can stuff behind a seat or under a seat or even like under your mattress. I mean, this will fit just about anywhere in your van. It doesn't take up too much space and it's adjustable. Like, let's say you want the table to be next to your bed and your bed's on the ground, like you're in a tent or something. You can adjust it so that it's only a few inches off the ground. Or you can lift it up all the way and have it be a couple feet off the ground, like normal table height. That's nice. And, of course, you don't have to use the table. You can use it just as a stool if you want to. So that's nice, too. But it is plastic. And while most of the time I think that's not going to be a problem, if you were using it in weather like this, because I talked about this a while ago, a thing that people don't think about is all this plastic stuff they have in their rigs will break in this kind of weather that we're having. If it's below zero Fahrenheit or negative 15 Celsius, plastic that was just fine in the summer is going to start being brittle and snap. And I'm concerned that this stuff will be like that. Again, I haven't tried it, mostly because I don't want to break it. So there's that. As for how much weight it will hold, because, you know, it's plastic, how much weight could it possibly hold? They claim that at the center of the stool, it will hold 396 pounds. So um, I, I'm not going to test that. I can tell you that it holds me. You know, I weigh like 250, something like that. It holds me just fine. So there's that. Now, as far as using this as a work table, I don't think you can put a whole lot of pressure on the sides of the table. Like you would want a hammer on this or anything like that, or use it as like a sawhorse. But if you're going to use it just to hold your stuff, like your drinks or use it for dining or holding your fishing stuff while you're fishing or whatever, I think it would be perfect for that. The thing's real advantage is that it folds up really small and then comes out and creates a fairly substantial table. And it takes maybe five seconds to set up. It's not a big deal. Now, they're $37 right now on Amazon, according to the link that I have, which isn't bad, uh, but it seems, a I think it's a little much, honestly. I think the table should be more like 25 bucks, but whatever, that's what it is. It only comes in black so far as I can see, which is fine. That's easy to keep clean. And as far as learning how to use it, it really, there's really not that much to it. Anybody can figure this out. It's a little weird when you look at it, but yeah, you'll, you'll figure it out. That's not a problem. So if you're looking for a fairly sturdy table that two people could eat at that folds into very small space, this could be a good option. Now I did just find another one that's only 20. Oh, it's actually even cheaper. It's 24 bucks with a 10% coupon. So, you know, so 2150 and it's green seafoam green. And it, it has a quote unquote table, but it's really a, just a little round table at the top. You can just get these as chairs. This one actually has a little cushion at the top too. So it'd be a little bit more comfortable. So if you just need the chair part, Oh, they come in a whole bunch of different colors. All right, I'll have both links in there. I didn't even see this one before. You can get all different, including rainbow, you can get all different colors for the stools. But it wasn't the stool I was really trying to review. It was the table. If you just need the stool, just get the stool. It's a lot cheaper. But if you need the table, this is probably the best way to turn one of these stools into a table. Anyway, 
have a look. It's in the show notes. You can have a look for yourself. I'm pretty happy I got it, and I really like that it's not going to take up a ton of space. Tales from the road. Okay, it's time for a how stupid is Jeff tale. Uh, <laughs> one of my first jobs was installing cellular phones in cars. And these days you might think, what is he talking about installing? <laughs> it's like, well, in the mid 80s, cell phones, or as we called them mobile phones back then, were intricate things. They had components. There was a thing the size of a briefcase that went in the trunk. That was the transceiver. That was all the guts of it. And then there was a handset that went in the front. That was the part you talked on. Looked very much like a phone you'd have at home. And then there was the antenna. It would take about four hours to install one of these things. But I got pretty good at it, and I started to learn about wiring and all this stuff. And this is the problem that people who know stuff get into. Um, they tend to cut corners on their own stuff. And I had a car at the time that I loved. It was a 1980 Datsun 510 hatchback. Loved, loved this car. Drove it all over, of course. And I would just tinker with it all the time and add things. One of the things I always wanted in this car was a light under the hood. So when I lifted the hood at night, I could see the engine. <laughs> Not the most complicated thing in the world, folks. Now, I could have gone to the store and bought the things needed to do this right, but I didn't do that. This is how my brain works, and this is not a good thing. I was at the Salem Willows, which is an old trolley park in Salem, Massachusetts. And one of the things what they were, and I hope still are famous for, is this massive arcade with a bunch of vintage pinball machines and stuff. And I hope that's still there. I actually don't know. And I used to go there all the time. And I drove down there one day and I was playing with the games and stuff. And I noticed something on the sidewalk. And that something was a lane switch. Now, if you ever played a pinball machine, there are these little micro switches that you roll over with your pinball in the lanes. And they're momentary switches. They're spring-loaded. And the ball rolls over the switch and either gives you a new ball or records the score or whatever it's going to do. It's a simple on-off switch. But I saw that thing and I thought, huh. If I mount that under the hood of my car, when I close the hood, it'll close the switch. And when I open the hood, it'll turn the switch on. And that's how these things work, is if the switch is closed, the circuit is closed. So I thought I could use this to wire up that light I've always wanted under my hood. And so I did. But did I go to the store and buy the proper wiring and a fuse and all that? Oh no, oh no. I went into my garage and found a spool of bell wire. Bell wire is a solid core wire, not suitable for vehicles. And I ran that wire directly from the battery to this switch and then ran that to a light that was just an old tail light I had from an old vehicle I used to have. And then right back to ground, I think I actually put in a proper ground. And that was it. And you know what? It worked great. Every time I opened the hood, the light would come on, and then that was exactly what I wanted. So, hey, how clever am I? Well, not very clever at all. <laughs> this is really stupid. For two reasons. First off, this is completely unsafe. I had put an unfused wire directly connected to the battery under the hood of my car where there's all kinds of things moving around. There's all kinds of vibrations. Dumb, 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 dumb. Really 
freaking dumb. In fact, when I went to a mechanic once, he called me aside and said, uh, dude, don't do stuff like this. This is how you lose your car. And he was absolutely right. The other dumb thing I did was I picked up this momentary switch off the ground from a pinball machine and thought it would be fine to use it like this. Well, take a step back here. Why was that piece of a pinball machine on the ground in front of the arcade? It wasn't because it fell out of a pinball machine. It was because it was broken. Somebody took it out of the pinball machine and replaced it, and then they weren't too concerned about what happened to it afterwards. And in fact, this switch was broken. I found that sometimes I would open the hood and the light wouldn't come on until I whacked the switch. So, um, yeah, really just all around stupid. Don't do stuff like this. I know you have the parts, you can make it work, and you want it to work. That's your motivation. Make it work. But no, especially today with Amazon, and you can just go online and order all the right stuff and have it in the next day, or in some cases, the next hour. Do that. Don't go back to that box of parts you have that you might use one day and make it work. It really isn't a good idea. Now, I got lucky. I did not burn my car down, but I absolutely could have, and it's just not worth it. A place to visit. Folks, this is going to sound like an ad, and I suppose this is technically sponsored because I got a discount uh, for agreeing to give a talk, but I really want you to come to VanFest. <laughs> so VanFest USA, uh, which has been an event in Utah for a while, is spreading out to the East Coast, and they're going to be in Vieira, Florida, not this week, but next weekend. And there's a whole bunch of people coming. I th there's probably going to be at least 100 vans there. And now that I have the schedule, I can talk about all the stuff we're going to do. And it, it looks great. I mean, so we've got all these vans, and you're going to be able to tour the vans. Uh, a lot of people have said, yeah, we're going to have hours. And you just wander around from van to van and talk with people and talk about their builds and stuff. I'm going to have my van open at least some of the time. I also want to see the vans, so I'm going to close it during some times. But I, I do want to see what other people have done. But then there's other stuff that sounds really cool. For example... If you're traveling with a dog, there's pet grooming by appointment. You can just sign up for that. There's going to be sponsors and vendors there like Explorers.life, Mango Vans, Freedom Van Gogh, Live More Camper Vans, and Compo Closet, which sounds interesting. I'm going to definitely check them out. And Explorist.life is offering a really cool service. They will examine your electrical system for free and try to fix it if they can. Now, they can only do this to so many people. You have to sign up for a time slot, but wow, what a cool thing. Now, remember, this this doesn't cost a lot of money. It's 15 bucks to go to this thing. If you want to camp, it's, a, it's actually a lot more. It's more like 115 bucks. I forget the actual amount. But if you happen to be within driving distance of Cape Canaveral area, this is in Vieira, Florida, for 15 bucks, you get to tour all these vans and experience all this stuff. There's going to be food and music, and there's all kinds of stuff. They're going to be a community potluck on one night where everyone will cook in their vans and bring people's food. Uh, there's trivia, stand-up comedy, morning yoga. There's even going to be some churchy stuff if you're into that. They're going to have services at one van because there are some kind of mobile church people that are going to be there if that's your thing. And of course... I will be giving a workshop on Podcasting 101 to tell you everything you need to know about starting your own podcast. So there's that too. Anyway, I'm really excited about going, and I, I think that if you can, 
you absolutely should come uh, and check this event out. I think it's going to be a great time. And I really, 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 really want to promote East Coast van events because I know there's a lot of West Coast events. There's Descend on Bend. There's Rubber Tramp Rendezvous. There's a whole bunch of them out there. But for those of us on the East Coast, it's so far to get to those places that we almost have to plan all of our travel around going to that one event. And it's Palooza too. I mean, it's it's just it's just not that feasible. So I will have a link in the show notes for VanFest USA in Vieira, Florida. And I really hope I can see you there. And yeah, you know, I'm going to be talking about this for a few weeks because I'm, I'm super excited about it. Resource recommendation. So this whole UDA thing that I decided to make the main topic this week actually came from a magazine that my wife bought me as a joke. <laughs> I have to be careful not to offend anybody here, but my, my wife went to Walgreens, the local pharmacy, that's almost everyone's local pharmacy these days, and saw this magazine called Prepper. And she bought it for me as kind of a joke, but she didn't actually look at it. And so she handed it to me and, um, I was like, oh, okay. And, and it turns out it's really a pretty darn good magazine. Now, the joke is that the prepper community kind of has a reputation for those outside the prepper community that they're kind of paranoid and they're way over preparing for things and they're a little bit culty and all this. I mean, that's the stereotype of preppers. I am not a prepper, although I am a wilderness survival kind of enthusiast. I used to go out in the woods with nothing but my knife and spend the night, make my own shelter. I've eaten frogs that I've caught and things like that. That that was something I was kind of excited about. This magazine, which is fully in titled Prepper Survival Guide is the whole name of the magazine. It's chock full of good information. And one of those is an article on UDA, which you can read for yourself. What I said modifies it quite a bit because I was trying to relate it to van life. Uh, Most talk about UDA will be relating it to situations where you're in physical harm, Uh, like someone's pulled a gun on you or something like that. And I'm not going to talk about that, but I'll give you an idea of some of the topics in here. Now, first, when she handed me this, I thought it was going to be some very lightweight articles and a whole bunch of advertising for, you know, like a five-gallon bucket with 96 meals in it. And after you've eaten all the meals, you can use the bucket as a poop bucket, you know, that kind of thing. Because I get those ads on Facebook all the time. No. And turns out there is very little advertising in this. This is dense, filled with all kinds of different survival ideas and a lot of them apply directly to van life i mean i think uda does but uh, just reading down here they have different sections survival essentials number eight uh on page eight i'm sorry it's embracing discomfort overcome adversity and prevail well that absolutely is something i've talked about embrace the suck you know accept the situation you're in embrace it don't let it become an impediment i mean that's what that talks about there's a great section here on dentistry What to do if you have a dental emergency and you're in the woods. This is very good information. There's even financial advice here. How to avoid getting into a debt trap. How to find shelter on the fly. How to assemble a great first aid kit. How to regulate your body's temperature. Prioritizing your critical needs. How to make a bow, sling, or slingshot if you have to hunt for yourself. That might be a little bit far afield for van life, but maybe not. How to avoid frostbite. There's something that's actually pretty pertinent this week. And so on and so on. Including some unusual stuff like hiding in plain sight. This this one kind of appeals to me. Now, I travel a lot, obviously, and I'm often in 
cities that I'm not familiar with. And I don't really want a lot of attention. I mean, this is true even in Chicago. I have an outfit I wear when I'm going to ride on the L. And it's my, hmm, could be homeless, but really don't want to mess with them kind of a look. And I just kind of sit there and don't smile and people leave me alone, <laughs> which is fine. And this magazine that's called A Gray Man, which is somebody who is kind of ignorable it's like stealth <laughs> they're they're dressed for stealth much like we do in our van and a lot of the stuff it talks about here applies to vans too so anyway not to read the entire contents of this magazine for you but i was super impressed with it and i'm going to try to get other copies too apparently what i have here is episode number 20 it's not a normal magazine like it comes every month they release every several months it seems and it's also not inexpensive i mean it was 12.99 list price i have a link to amazon that'll be uh, a bit less than that but this is the kind of thing I'm just going to keep in my van. I Actually, I'm going to install a magazine rack, and then I'm going to have this be in there, and it'd be a great thing just to read. You know, you're waiting for water to boil or, you know, maybe something else. You just you have a little time to kill. This would be a good thing to read and leaf through. I'm pleasantly surprised, and I had to inform my wife that, uh, no, this is not a joke. This is really good stuff, and thank you. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 195. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And yes, I, of course, I will be at VanFest in the upcoming weeks, and I will probably pre-record some episodes, which means the news will probably not be there or not up to date. And thank you for bearing with me. If you need to get a hold of me for any reason, I'm Jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And until next time, remember the words of Seneca, who said... Luck is where opportunity meets preparation.